What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. So, people, hello. Welcome to Movie Crush. <laughs> uh, here with Dan Bush on another film series. And I guess your film series is just whatever Dan wants to talk about. Ah. We, we don't have to have a theme. Uh, but we were speaking before we had technical difficulties about uh, the fact that the world's going to hell in a handbasket and what you're doing about it. And I think it's good advice. Mm-hmm. How so to, qu- like to, how to quit, quit worrying and yeah. learn, learn to. Well, ah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Way to tie that in. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just, uh, you know, this the idea of like think, what is it, think globally, act locally. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if you internalize that and act really, really specifically locally and start with your own freaking mind. What's the most local? <laughs> What's the most local? <laughs> and, then, and then work outward from there of like, okay, th- being sort of mindful and thoughtful. And I don't mean to be on a soapbox, but I just myself, I was like, why don't I take a minute and get away from the chatter and all of the yes. the Trump tweets and all of the stuff going on with the impeachment hearings and, and everything about, not that all that stuff doesn't need to be addressed, not that it's not extremely important, but right. it, but to hold space for yourself for just for a second Self-care, and, and take, a, take a minute and take a deep breath. And, get, mm-hmm. and when you do that, you go, okay, actually... When I walk out my door and look around, mm-hmm. there's not that much conflict. Yeah. It's, you know, people are, for the most part, and I think this is probably true, 
it's just it's just that it, it, the filter of the media puts everything in mm-hmm. such a it just it packs everything into this sort of you know laser yeah that shoots right into your brain and then social media on top of it right and it's and, even worse. and and we're addicted to that and yeah. we have like you know so so just the idea of like can I actually put my phone down put it away while I'm sleeping right take a deep breath take ten minutes for myself every day just ten minutes uh-huh. to just sit there and do nothing just, yeah. And, and more than that, like try to really hang out with my kids when they're around as right. opposed to like, yes. I'm trying to do this thing while you're, no, it's like. That's my biggest trap, man. That it just makes me feel like a garbage parent hmm. is when I'm distracted <clears throat> and she's trying to get my attention. Yeah. So, and I, I've been doing things with them like, you know, your kids can do shit. Mm-hmm. My kids only, there's three, three-year-old and one's almost five. And it's like, they can do stuff. So like. I don't have to be like, you sit there while I cook. I, you know, I'm like, come over here. This is a burner on the stove. Be careful. Yeah, it's hot. And exactly. Here's a knife you can cut, but here I'm going to show you how. And right. I know that sounds like a dangerous thing for a parent to do, but no, I'm like, man. make them, you know, get them. They love being involved. So mm-hmm. it takes you long. So, you know, I'm not unloading the dishwasher. I'm being with my kid. And that's right. the activity. Yes. As opposed to, God damn it, I got to get this done. Yeah, that's so valuable. And it's really easy to fall into that trap of busy uh, distraction stuff. But mm-hmm. like... You're you're modeling, man. You're teaching them, mm-hmm. and that's going to come back and bite us all in the ass mm-hmm. when they're teenagers and they don't have the attention for us, mm-hmm. you know, because they were raised with a parent staring at a phone. Right. It's no good. It fucking sucks. I want to like yeah. smash my phone on a daily basis. <laughs> but you know, but then there's something about, and I'm not, you know, a survivalist by any stretch. But I'm like, I want to, I want to imbue them with some skills. Sure. The world's going to be pretty nasty if, if we on the current hey, track it would not hurt to know so, how to start a fire without a enjoy match. these times before it's yeah yeah how do you, you know little things like that yeah how do you grow something right exactly i don't know i'm uh-huh. not good at it but I, we can learn together come on kids yeah terror, terror farming let's do <laughs> yeah. it yeah but no you're right uh and what we were talking about before it's like it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole of of everything is shitty right now but if you if you walk outside your door and you look around your your home and your community and your neighborhood, hopefully that makes you feel good. It does in my case. Without sounding cheesy, all you really have is now. Mm-hmm. Everything before this doesn't exist. Nope. Everything that's about to happen doesn't exist. Nope. So there's, you know, you have all the potential in the world. Yeah, man. Right here. I feel that like we should zen. I'm sorry. take LSD <laughs> right now and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's do it. We should do that on a episode. How fun and weird would that be? <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine, I met with a friend of mine the other day that I'm working with, and he was like, by the way, I'm microdosing today. And I'm like, oh, okay. That sounds awesome. How, <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? And he's like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. It's a thing. It sounds, yeah. Yeah. I know. Well, I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do that. You can I have a friend who microdoses uh, marijuana edibles for migraines. Oh, okay. And she doesn't ever, I don't think, feel Mm-hmm. She never feels stoned or anything. Okay. And it's like through a doctor and it's just like tiny little bits of edibles right. all throughout the day. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. And apparently it helps out the migraines. Is that like the CBD or is that just... No, I mean, it's it's the real deal THC. Okay. But it's uh, just a tiny bit of THC, which is the only psychoactive property of the only psychoactive... Right. Can, it's the only good can, stuff. <laughs> cannabinoid or cannab- cannabinoid? Cannabinoid. I think that's it. Anyway. Well... <clears throat> uh, Dr. Strangelove. Let's get high and watch Dr. Strangelove. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think this is, Wednesday night? Mm. No, it's Thursday morning. I watched this Wednesday night, and for the many, many manyth time, Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen this movie a lot. Have you? Yeah, but it was like, it it had been a while. Were you excited to talk about it? Super excited. That's cool. To watch it again and talk about it. Yeah. Uh, So let's do it. 
<laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of bits of fun trivia. Um, yeah, I've got a bunch. I'll sprinkle them out. You probably know this stuff, but for the benefit of the listener, uh, the he had a few different titles, apparently. Uh, Dr. Doomsday or How to Start World War III Without Even Trying. <laughs> Would have been good. Uh, Dr. Strangelove's Secret Uses of Uranus. <laughs> I heard that one. And then Wonderful Bomb, which mm-hmm. that's pretty good. That's a good one. Yeah. One- Wonderful Bomb. Yeah, I like that one. Did you have any other ones? Any titles? No, I didn't have any. I didn't jot down the titles that I'd heard of. But uh, What other trivia you got? Oh, man, just tons of shit. Um, right, let me look here. So Sellers was going to play four characters. I think I saw that. He was going to play Slim Pickens' part, right. right? He was going to do Slim Pickens' part, and there, there's a bunch of different you know, theories about why that didn't work. Yeah, I saw one story where he faked a broken leg so he wouldn't have to, right. but that sounds <clears throat> made up. Yeah, so we wouldn't have to because of because I'm like it's Peter Sellers. He's probably going to nail a Texas accent if he needs to. Well, you know? but I heard that the accent was one of the problems, and that Kubrick right. didn't like it. Right, it's hard to tell. Um, but yeah, and then another one, Pickens, uh, Slim Pickens, who who did play that uh, pilot, was also in the running to play the Scatman Crothers part in The Shining. Oh, interesting. I'm not sure why. Well, I love the race, the racial tones in The Shining. Yeah, the racist overtones in The Shining. Probably. Totally. I mean, I loved Scatman Crothers in that movie. Yeah, but I could totally see Slim Pickens playing that part. Well, they're both they both are these uh, not character actors, but actors who are characters. They're yeah. both these guys who are authentically themselves. Totally. So, and apparently, Slim Pickens is. One hundred percent, that guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Like, and they're, they're like, he wasn't uh, a uh, method actor. Right. That's just him. What else I got? Uh, Reagan, when he was when he uh, after he was inaugurated, wanted to see the war room. Oh, really? And there, there was no war room. <laughs> but that's the first. He's like, he I was an see, actor. He wanted to see the war room. <laughs> he didn't know that. Um. Let me see. I've got one for you. Okay. Uh, the war room, uh, Kubrick insisted that the war room table be covered in green baize, which is like felt. So uh, even though it wouldn't read on black and white, so they all felt like they were just a bunch of men playing poker <laughs> with the uh, – like a big poker table. That's it's awesome. Like, that's essentially what you're doing is playing poker with the world. Right. Uh, and the and nuclear war as Slim Pickens calls it. Slim Pickens. So he covered it in green, f- green felt. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty good even though it's a black and white movie. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah. Here's a huge one. Um, so the line was changed from Dallas to Vegas. The line when he when Slim Pickens like, oh, you could have a pretty good time. He's opening up the survival kit. That's one of my favorite parts when he's reading all that yeah. stuff out. Yeah, and he says, you know, at the end, he's like, yeah. He's like, nylon stockings, yeah. <laughs> pro, one prophylactic. You could have a pretty good time in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. That line is dubbed later. It uh, looked funny. It was not. It was, it was ADR. Oh, okay. Um, because the original line was Dallas. You could have a pretty good time in Dallas with this stuff. And oh. they changed it. Do you know why? Oh, uh, wait a minute. Kennedy? The, the, the original release date was November 22nd, 1963. Wow. The day Kennedy got shot. Wow. So they pulled the movie. Uh-huh. And they, and they changed a few things. And then the movie came out, you know, January of, of uh, 64. Wow. So they held it that long, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, they held it for like three months or four months or whatever. But, but I always think about that. And I'm like, okay, if... If you have Kennedy assassination, which is like the first and most significant sort of point where you go the, – the world and, and our nation goes, oh, OK. There's more at work. There's mm-hmm. more sleight of hand. There's more stuff happening behind the scenes than we're aware of right. for this to be possible. 
And if this is if this man represents the best of us, regardless of whatever he you know if he was or wasn't on all the arguments about Kennedy, but he represented this knight in shining armor, right? And then he gets taken down, and then a couple of months later, Strange Love comes out, which is all about the industrial complex, right. military complex, and how how full of shit it all is. Uh-huh. You know, I think you have the makings in those two first moments for the for like the the launch of the counterculture. Yeah. I feel like those two things are like, okay. Because what year was this? <clears throat> 63. Yeah. I mean, that, so those that, are the, the first two things that make everybody go, okay, our government is not, they don't, they aren't all to be trusted. Yeah. And there's more than, you know, at hand that meets the eye. And, and then Vietnam. Yeah. I just feel like those are the, the beginnings of that, you know, that, that, that huge revolution. Totally. It's a cultural revolution that happened. Yeah, one thing this movie really um, what jumped out at me last night more than ever before was how uh, how ahead of its time it, it felt. Mm-hmm. If, even though it's black and white, um, it, it, it has this weird contemporary feel to it, starting from the very beginning with those opening credits in it. And I think I tracked it down to the just the font mm-hmm. and the, the credit uh, sequence, mm. which was, you know, very unusual for the time. You know, that, that it looks, you know, hand-drawn in pencil. You know who did that? Who? Pablo Ferro. Who's that? He's a guy. He's a graphic designer. He also did the Stop Making Sense album. Oh, of course. There you have it. Looks just like it. Right. <laughs> I never tied those together. Yeah. Yeah, but it, and maybe that helps explain it because it, it definitely didn't look like a title sequence from 1964. No, it looks like something out of, you know, 1990s or two. 2000s or whatever. Yeah, it, it felt very contemporary. And um, <clears throat> and that, you know, the it, opening is so great with the, the the planes fucking each other, basically. <laughs> <laughs> There's so, but so much sexual innuendo throughout this whole movie. Yeah, to that, whatever that sort of, not elevator music, but it's... Yeah, it's, whatever it was. I can't remember it what It was fantastic. Was. Yeah. And just so, like, Kubrick, you know? Yeah, the whole thing is sexual, is power and sex. The yeah. whole damn movie, it's sex, power, sex, power. You know, yeah, and I think he didn't get enough strange love, uh, yeah, power and sex, and, <laughs> which he named himself Strange Love, right? Um, Don't we find that out. Uh, oh, does he? I don't know that. Yeah, part. it's later on in the movie. He said, uh, George E. Scott's like, what kind of my name is Strange Love? And he says, well, he gave him that. He gave himself that name. Oh, when, when he, he came over, when from, he became a citizen or whatever, right? And he says what it was before. I can't remember what it was. Man, how great is George C. Scott in this movie? I it, it just incredible. <laughs> and you never see him do. Does he ever do any other comedy? I don't think so, man. And and I read. I don't, I don't know if this is true. I, I guess it is that uh, that Kubrick had him go super broad, uh-huh. and he said like, "We're not going to use this stuff. It's just sort of a a test to see how far you can go with it, or whatever." Right. And that's the stuff that he used. Well, yeah, I heard because Kubrick has got that. He's notoriously did like hundred takes or whatever yeah. to the point where the actors were so pissed off and freaked out. That, uh-huh. So the the version I heard was kind of like Nick, same thing he did with Nicholson in The Shining, where he's he got him so pissed that he was like, "Is that what you want? You want me to like I, you know, you want yeah. me to just not be subtle at all? Okay, like this." Yeah, and he was like, "Yeah, you want like, crazy? Yeah, like this. You want crazy? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll show you crazy." And he's rolling his eyes and he's going bug nuts and yeah, it's just amazing. Oh man, I mean George E. Scott is so good in this and everybody. I mean, it's an acting tour de force. <clears throat> Sterling Hayden mm-hmm. is just off the charts, and and this is a movie with Peter Sellers. Like peak Peter Sellers, right? You know, and Peter Sellers gets to play the straight guy opposite of S- Sterling Hayden, yeah, and then he gets to play the straight guy opposite of um, uh, Turgeson, which is uh-huh. uh, Georgie Scott, yeah, yeah. 
in a way. That's, and then it's kind of he gets weird. to play Strange Love. And then he gets to play Strange Love. He gets Love. to have some fun. <laughs> who was who was your favorite of the three? Of his of Sellers characters? Yeah, yeah. Strange Love. Really? Yeah, I think just because it's Oh no, I mean it's, it's I mean great. it's hard to I mean they're they're all they're all fantastic. <laughs> no, they're, they're all not? amazing. And I, I always just Strange Love is so easy because it's so funny. Uh-huh. But I think President Muffley, like it's that phone call, man. Merk, Merkin. Merkin Muffley. Muffley. That fucking phone call just seals the deal for me. <laughs> the, that first phone call, or both the phone calls, but that first phone call to uh, to D- Dimitri. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just as capable of being sad. Oh, man. <laughs> so good. Right. And I, I actually printed out that whole thing. Oh, you did? It's a lot of fun. Uh, just to, No, it wasn't sad. I'm capable of being so, just as sorry as you, Dimitri. Yeah. I know you're sorry, but I'm sorry too, Dimitri. Well, then it's good that you're fine and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. <laughs> and right before that, he's like, "It's like, well, you know, that thing, something like, the, yeah, the, the thing we always the, do. You have it there about the bomb. Uh-huh. We we got to talk about the bomb. It's like he's he's talking to an ex-wife about." Yeah. The kid got arrested or... It's really funny. <laughs> he said, uh, one of our base commanders, he had sort of, well, he went a little funny ahead, you know, and he went and did a silly thing. <laughs> <laughs> Started World War Three. Oh, man. I so love it. Um, this, it's, you know, I like to talk about structure a lot. But yeah. This one is like, I'm trying to pin it down and I, what I start, I was looking around, I was like, what other movies like, how does this structurally work mm-hmm. at all? And other than being like a political farce or whatever, there's not too many of those. But yeah. I can't think of anything that's like this movie. Mm-hmm. I can't think that of anything before it or after it that is like it. It's like a lot of things, but it's its own category. Yeah, it's very compartmentalized structurally. Like he only has those – he's got the plane mm-hmm. set and mm-hmm. that, that storyline. He's got the war room. Right. And he's got uh, the the office basically. Right. And the initial scene Ripper's with Tur- Turgeson and – and the, yeah, you got and the his, great and the secretary. Oh man, which is it's all like a, they're already living in bunkers. <laughs> yeah, they're already living in like these. There's no outside view of the uh-huh. world at all, except from that plane. Yeah. I think. Oh, and then when they cut to the documentary footage of them attacking the base, is that I mean, what even that is? Long lenses and very tight, uh-huh. and it's, so there's no. It's hard to. So did he shoot that, or was that? I don't know. Okay, I couldn't quite tell. It, it looks like it's suddenly cutting from these sh- shots that are locked off. Yeah. Medium wides of everybody, uh-huh. and then occasionally like a, a specific close up of like uh, Sterling, is Sterling Hayden is his name, from down below. Yeah, those great Dutch. So you're low like, oh, he shots. looks insane from this angle. But other than that, it's like these medium wide shots that yeah. just play out through the whole thing like a stage play. And then they cut to this handheld documentary footage. Yeah. It's really jarring. Yeah, and and intense, like uh, shades of uh, Full Metal Jacket to come. Right. But it's um it's very jarring when it goes to those those battle scenes. Yeah, and that's the weird thing about the movie is it's it's like okay if you think I once heard a, um, I guess it was uh, it was a lecture that uh, who was giving that lecture um, the writer uh, Breakfast of Champions oh um, uh, um, Kurt Vonnegut. Vonnegut yeah sorry Vonnegut was giving this lecture at. Uh, at the college that I was in, uh-huh. um, at USC in, in South Carolina, and he came in and gave this lecture about structure, and he was talking about there's in tragedy, there's like you know, he starts starts off with there's going to be a war uh, or some horrible event, mm-hmm. you know, some pestilence or whatever, and then the one guy who might be able to save everybody fails to do so because of his own hubris or his pride or whatever, and then right. everybody dies, and that's right. like tragic structure. So it's like this this 
you know, inverted U. Right. And then the other comedy structure that Aristotle talked about in Poetics and that mm-hmm. Vonnegut was kind of re- reiterating here was he was like, okay, in, in the other structure, everything starts off, there's going to be a wedding or a birth right. with comedy. And then, and then some asshole decides to ruin everything <laughs> and, you know, trash it, trash the day. Yeah. Uh, and together, everybody bonds together. The people who maybe had their differences all come together in the mm-hmm. end. And they save the day. And you, the comedy ends with like a birth or a wedding. Right. You know, you can think about everything from like The Hangover to sure. you know, all the comedies that have ever been made. They always end with a birth or a wedding. Right. <laughs> um, and everybody comes together to, to figure it out. But this one, this is like, this is not, this is not a, it's not a comic structure. No. It's not a tragic structure. It's no. this weird amalgam of the two where like the only way for everybody to come together in the end of the movie and win is to lose. Yeah. The only way you can win is by losing. Right. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like a tragic comedy or it's like some sort of... It is a strange movie tonally. I mean, yeah. it, it's obviously a satire and clearly a comedy. And you know about the pie fight? Yeah. Let's talk about it though, because that was uh, they they shot it and everything. Right. The original ending was they in the war room they break out into a pie fight. Right. Which uh, they use thousands of pies per day to capture this thing. Has a lot of merit. I saw some. I saw a picture. Have you ever seen any of Uh -uh. that? No. Uh, I have one right here. So yeah, I'm like that's a kind of a perfect ending. I guess he pulled back from that, but it's kind of a beautiful ending to a you know what is kind of a body humor farce movie. There's like a shot, a oh still shot at least of what that looked like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you in this movie? It, it's, uh, but like if it's, 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 it's a tough one to, to. But that's a comedic ending. Yeah, I mean, that's a comedy ending. You know, it could have ended with with Slim Pickens riding that bomb, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of that kind of feels like the ending, right? But then there's then that, they come back to the monologue about well that great bit about repopulating the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten women to one man. <laughs> Yeah, and he's basically saying like, well, we're we're going to have to get a bunch of sexy, sexed up women, right? Because that have certain proclivities, right? Like we want to make they're going to have to be appealing for for you know, right? Exactly. And you see George, you see Turgidson over there, just like you know, licking his lips because <laughs> yeah. he's such a you know such a dog. Um, and and the real ending is great, you know. Yeah, he stands, mein Führer, I can walk, <laughs> and then that's Cut it. to the bombs. Explode. Yes. Oh, yeah, God. but a pie fight has merit. Like I could have seen that mm-hmm. sort of ridiculous Three Stooges-y ending to this thing. Well, that's the thing is this this weird like every you know this movie's not absurd because they're dealing with real the real the real world's absurd. Yeah, they're just and it's just loaded with this body humor. The first time we see like the first time that he gets the code mm-hmm. or gets the orders for Plan R, the guy on the the, the, in the plane? Yeah, like the communications officer on the plane gets the plan R and mm-hmm. he's like, okay. And he's just like stuffing his face and he's chewing on – there's food. Yeah. Like, he's like trying to swallow <laughs> while he's saying, hey, anyway. And then, um, you know, it cuts to the the sort of bunker-like space. It's like a hotel room that Turgeson and his yeah. secretary are in. And she's sun. She's like doing some tanning. She's in a bikini. She's in a bikini. And she's he's taking gorgeous. A, he's taking a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's relaying this, like basically relaying. Not basically. Right. She is fully relaying a phone call. Right. About we're about to start an accidental nuclear war while he's taking a dump in right. the other room with all the politeness <laughs> in the world. Uh, that and scene then, is fantastic. She's really great in it's that. Brilliant. And then there's uh, and then he's constantly Turgeson is just constantly chewing gum. Yeah. 
It's just all this body. I'm surprised the movie, honestly, the pie fight makes sense because I'm surprised the movie didn't didn't have like fart jokes. I'm surprised that people weren't like. Yeah, because it veers into that territory comedically. Yeah. And it's interesting because this is Kubrick's. He didn't do any of anything else approaching comedy, did he? I, I mean, you know, they, I've heard that on the set of The Shining, they were laughing their asses off. Well, okay. But <laughs> as far as movies go, no. like this is tonally. This I'm is trying to thing. get into his head of like what did Stanley Kubrick find funny? Right. Because he's not a funny filmmaker and doesn't come across as a funny guy. Right, yeah. And this is the only thing we have to go on. That's true. You know? And there's weird, there's weird things that I just laughed at. Like uh, when he, when the um, Slim Pickens is first like, are you sure it's plan R? Are uh-huh. you sure? And he's like, <laughs> all right, I'm coming back there. And, like, this whole scene has been him talking to somebody in the back of the plane. Yeah. And there's all this distance between them. And he says, I'm coming back there. And he turns around and they're, like, five feet away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's humorous. And I don't know. That was pretty funny. Uh, you know, that's kind of, that kind of lo- subtle, I don't know, timing or something. That- yeah. So shout out to Tracy Reed, who is the, the woman who played uh, Miss Scott. Um, we've already gone over Scott and Sellers, Slim Pickens, Sterling Hayden, uh, a young James Old Jones on the plane. Huge shout out to uh, Keenan Wynn, who plays Colonel Bat Guano, <laughs> the guy that comes in at the end and uh, basically holds Mandrake, you know, uh, hostage for a brief time. He does such a good job. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> <laughs> and it just ends with, like, the machine peeing in his face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like pure slapstick. But the, also the, this collection of uh, – of nameless, faceless men in the war room. Mm-hmm. Last night, I was really fixated during the Strange Love stuff on seeing if I could catch any of them in the background cracking up. Right, and like, how the fuck were they able to just stay so stoic? I think in the midst of that, it's genius. take it's take one hundred. Yeah, although I don't know if he did that with Sellers because I read that uh, right. Sellers said that he did this to uh, Kubrick did this to break down the actor's sense of self. And he said, I have never had a sense of self, so you don't need to do that with me. <laughs> I heard he was the only one that Kubrick ever let improvise. Yeah, I saw that too. Kubrick said he's the only actor that can really do it. Right. Which, man, it's a high compliment. Yeah, and I, it makes me – seeing this again, I'm, I want to go back and watch uh, Being There again. Oh, man. One of my favorites. Yeah. So good. I got Hal my – Ashby. My uh, entree into Being <clears throat> There was uh, – Mad Magazine's parody of being there oh, really? <laughs> that I read when I was a kid because I was course. a Mad Magazine obsessive. And, you know, they had all these, uh, you know, adult-type themed movies in Mad mm-hmm. Magazine that, like, 10-year-old Chuck is reading about all these movies that, like, I have no idea what they are. You know, they did stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark every now and then, but right. a lot of times it was this sort of high-minded stuff they were kind of poking fun Yeah, at. it's adult. And I saw being there later on, and, you know, it's just so great. There's a bunch of his movies. I've never seen Lolita. Right, I've never seen Lily. Yeah, either. It's like so. it's got. He plays several roles in that one too, right? And I heard that that was potentially going to be a comedy at some point, but I, I, I don't think know how it teeters be, on that edge. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, I got to check it out though. There's yeah. a lot of Peter Sellers out there. I need to see. I was a, a Pink Panther nut. Oh, okay. As a kid, right? I thought that was, was just a... nothing funnier in the world, right. to me than Inspector Clouseau. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. 
It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But, you know, I think about Kubrick's, like, a lot of his, the way he shot stuff with those, you know, those um, center-punched frames that are wide and and, and last way too long. Yeah. You're just watching it, and it's it's so perfectly balanced. There's something about the the way the composition is that he always does Mm -hmm. in Clockwork Orange and in other, that is intrinsically funny to me. Like, I can't. It, you know, everybody thinks, oh, it's it's disturbed, or it's maybe it's t- it's so center punched that it's almost disturbing because it's like so calculated and specific. And, and you think the tongue is in cheek? I do. I think there's something. I get that something where he's going, look at this, how stupid this is, or how right. absurd this is. Yeah. And the, something about the framing makes me go, makes me giddy, kind of tickles my tummy, and I'm like, uh-huh. this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. You know, and you, like <laughs> the scenes in Full Metal Jacket when he's. You know, when they're marching around and it's like, this is my, you know, I don't know. This is my rifle. This is is my gun. gun. Yeah, And and it just holds on it for too long and it stays center punched and it never does anything else. And it's just after a while, I'm, you know, I'm going to start laughing. Yeah. Boy, I miss Cooper. And I think he's, I think he's doing, I think it's intentional. I don't think, I don't know. I think you're right. I don't think he's like, well, this is a a pretty frame or whatever. Right. Like he's it, not being he's not like being serious. No, I don't think so. I think you're right. <laughs> you know? There 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 is little bits of humor throughout his stuff when you kind of look at it through that lens. I heard somebody describing Strange Love as like it's it's Mel Brooks, but yeah, but conducted by this like brilliant chess playing yeah, you know, ma- chess master 
you know, hyper-intelligent filmmaker, but it's, but it's Mel Brooks yeah. humor or something. Totally. That's, a, that's an interesting. Yeah. And I mean, you were talking a second ago about the, uh, the serious stuff in this movie, like all of the, all of the stuff on the plane, all of the, um, the conversations, the political conversations, it's all like, it, it is not, I mean, it's satire, but it's not, it's all perfectly squared away. And as it would be mm-hmm. like, it's not like he wrote it funny. Right. Like he writes it. I mean, there's funny stuff going on around it, but it's all very real. Right. I mean, George E. Scott has that folder on his desk. Uh, where Where is it? Uh, World targets and mega deaths. That's the the folder. Is that what it says? <laughs> yes, that's a, on the the title on the spine, and that was a whole thing of mm-hmm. a, a fairly new idea of of uh, talking about mega deaths, like uh, numbering mm-hmm. deaths and mega deaths because of nuclear war. Right. was a new thing. And he, he, that's one of the folders he's like squeezing at his chest once uh, the uh, ambassador gets there. You know, that, that, that Pinko Kami ambassador, he's got to guard all the stuff. So he's literally hugging the world targets in Megadeth's folder. Right. You know, to, to keep it safe. <laughs> right. Like a, yeah. But, uh, that's <laughs> like a, a schoolboy. Yeah, but I mean, that's a real thing. It's not, you imagine that's exactly what it was like. Um. I think I'm looking at all this other stuff. Those quote, the quotes in the movie are just out of control. I mean, it's just the most beautiful yeah. ir- ir- irony I've ever heard <laughs> in a movie. Well, gentlemen, I reckon this is it: nuclear combat, toe to toe with the Ruskies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that Johnny comes marching home cue right there right. too. And they always come back to it when they come back to the guys. Yeah, that, it's just plane. really effective. It's the only time they use music, I think, except maybe at the beginning and the end. Yeah, there's. Yeah, that's it. There's that elevator music at the beginning and the very end they have that song and then Johnny comes marching home, that refrain over and over and over. It's so good. Well, here's what the he's like there's there's Muffley's talking to Turgeson. He's like, There's nothing to figure out, General Turgeson. The man is obviously a psychotic. He's like, Well, well, you yeah. know, let's hold off on judgment on a thing like that until all the facts are in. Right. He's like, Turgeson. He's like, I you know, he when you initiated the human reliability tests, you assumed that there were there was no possibility of such a thing ever happening. He's like, well, I don't know if it's quite fair to condemn the whole program because of one little slip up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's Turgeson's thing. The whole time, he's it's not dawning on him that this is like possibly the end of the world, you know, or or that you know twenty ten twenty million people like that's acceptable, right? And I guess in the grand scheme of things, you know. He may be right. That's better than 150 million people. It's better than total annihilation. Yeah, I got but, that one too. He says, he says, we are rapidly approaching a moment of truth for both ourselves as human beings and for the, uh, and for the life of our nation. Um, now, truth is not always a pleasant thing, but it's necessary to make a choice and to choose between two admittedly regrettable but nevertheless distinguishable post-war environments, one where 20 million people get killed and the other one where you have 150 million people killed. And he's like, you're talking about mass murder, not war. And he's like, yeah. uh, I'm not saying we might get our, we're not going to get our hair a little mussed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of my favorite parts, George C. Scott really shines in this movie. It like really hit me last night. But uh, – is toward the end when uh, they're talking about uh, when the plane has been hit and they're flying super low under yeah. the radar. <clears throat> and um, 
he's asking about their chances basically and George C. Scott gets all excited <laughs> and he's kind of he kind of forgets himself that he's talking about like oh yeah they're uh-huh. gonna drop the bomb he's like oh yeah you should see they can get down there real low and he puts his arms out like planes <laughs> wings and then he, he realizes what he's talking about you know and he kind of yeah. collects himself again <laughs> you should see it a big plane like yeah. that getting all low he can <laughs> something about roasting the chickens in the chicken house or something yeah it's all this yeah, all this and, fl- and before that, he has uh, flamboyant Americanisms and patriotic. <laughs> yeah, well, he's Jew. excited, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, he loves war. He loves power. That's right. He loves. That's exactly it. He's excited. I mean, he's the one that leaps, and he's had he's the opportunity envious, to do this. He's envious of the bomb. I was like, oh man, I wish we had one of those doomsday devices. Yeah, and then he's envious of of um, uh, Ripper. Uh huh. He's like Ripper had the guts to like do this thing. That's right. He's he kind of like secretly is like. Praising well, and he and he's talking about when they're so uh, excited when the base is invading. You know, yeah. it's a civil war breaking out basically, and he's talking about like, oh, <laughs> you're gonna have a real hard time with my guys. And the other guy's like, with all due respect, like right. we should be able to brush them aside with fair, with ease <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And you can tell it's like a big dick contest all of a sudden. All this infighting, <laughs> and then you have, and then this other really weird thing is like you have, um, what's his, what's the president's name? Muffley. Muffley. Uh uh-huh. Merkin Muffley. Yeah. Who's this effeminate? These ridiculous names: Kissoff, Muffley, Bat Guano, <laughs> and he's yeah. And Muffley is supposed to be like the one voice of reason, other yeah. than other than um, the the commander who's in there with with Ripper, right? Other, other than the Mandrake, Brit- Mandrake, the British guy. But so he's the point of reason, and he's <laughs> and it's just the opposite of what we have today. Today, the military is more cautious. Yeah, and the president is you know obviously the president. Yeah. So, and, you know, he's completely <laughs> fucking insane. That, um, he has a great line. But isn't it inverted from when this movie was made? I mean, I Eisenhower so. was the one who was like, who first implemented the idea of like having an officer be able to, to in the event that the president is wiped out. Right. We're going to make it so that certain elite officers can follow through with a nuclear strike. Yeah, like a plan C or whatever. Yeah. And, and he was hesitant to do so, but then they made it a thing. And so that's what the whole movie is sort of based on is like these these planes are always flying within yeah. two hours of their any target or whatever. And that's why they have to fuel in the air, uh-huh. you know, and, and all this stuff. But it's it's all based on that those early decisions. Yeah. They're, I think, still in, intact. Well, and he says that. He's like, you know, you're the one that signed off on this. <clears throat> right. And the disbelief, which is very reasonable, like, are you telling me like there's literally no way to back mm-hmm. out of this at this point? Like there's no fail safe for us. Right. And that's when George C. Scott, that's when Turgenson mm-hmm. says, well, we could look at this as an opportunity. Right. Like if it's going to happen anyway, we can catch them with their pants down and just wipe them out. Right. Which is what <laughs> – and that's what Ripper wanted. He's like – That's right. This is the only – this is the way this goes down. It's, and it gets into this thing of paradoxes that, that, that I think Kubrick had mentioned. Like the, there's no way to follow through – on the game theory of this mm-hmm. or the or the military strategy or the chess game. There's no way – it's that war games thing of like there's no way that the that, that, yeah. outcome. So there's the irony or the – the you can look at it mathematically and go, OK, in a nuclear strike, if you strike first, you can knock out 90 percent of their – Mm-hmm. Of their artillery and their, and then they'll strike with what they have left ten percent. With their ten percent, they can knock out ninety percent of ours. Right. So at the end, we have ten percent left and they have nothing. So we we win. Right. Meanwhile, the world is no longer inhabitable, yeah. and that's it's always like this. Yeah. That, so there's that one paradox of like the ninety percent yeah. theory, and that's before they learn of the doomsday device, of course. Right. 
Which wipes out everybody. <laughs> yeah, which is just a fear mechanism. Yeah. Um, the other one was the always never dilemma. Um, let me re- read this. It says, uh, the command and control of nuclear weapons has long been plagued by an always never dilemma. The administrative, administrative and technological systems that are necessary to ensure that nuclear weapons are always available to use in wartime might be quite different from the ones uh, those necessary to guarantee that such weapons can never be used without proper authorization in peacetime. Uh-huh. And those two things are in perfect conflict with each other, and there's yeah. no way to reconcile them. Yeah. So <laughs> there it is, right there. And the weirdest thing of all is that the president, you know, even if even if these other people have to go through certain procedures and they have to be two keys, and mm-hmm. there's two different co- parts of a code that's sent to unlock the two keys so that they can both check each other before doing mm-hmm. a nuclear strike. There's all these things at hand. If you're like, if the, if Washington's been wiped out. Yeah. But the in, the other side of that is that the president is the only person that has zero checks. Right. Because there's all there's all the IC, ICBMs take ten minutes. Uh-huh. That's not enough time to to get Congress to vote. Right. So there has to be a, the ability of the president to launch an all out nuclear nuclear strike at all times. Right. Just and I don't know what frightened. that policy looks like now. I I heard they were trying to change it because of our current president. Oh really? I heard that there was that the Pentagon they're actually scared. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't have anything to verify that. But right. Um, well, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> The so. uh, one of my favorite parts is early on when uh, and I love all the Mandrake Ripper stuff. It's just so great, and um, <laughs> like Ripper has com- clearly lost his mind, right? Because from the beginning he's talking about the conspiracy, which was in the fifties. It was a real thing that people were worried about was the fluoridation, right? That it was the Russians, and you know they were brainwashing us basically poisoning us the communist conspiracy to exactly but ripper has bought into this and mandrake god he's so good sellers is so good in that role he uh there's that one scene where he ripper calmly gets up and walks over and locks the door mm-hmm. puts the key in his pocket and mandrake doesn't even notice like because they're just talking and then mandrake has his has his moment mm-hmm. he stands at attention and he's basically right. like you know i i have to tell you right now that uh, you know as an officer, I can't go through with this or whatever. Right. How he says it, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave uh-huh. and go stop this. And he goes over, and the <laughs> locks the locked. door, yeah. And then he checks the other door, and that's locked, right? <laughs> and he knows. And the he's look on fucked. the look on Mandrake's face, Seller's face, when he's like, "Oh no, it's, it's my thinking. That's really not quite the way it's the right way to look at it, right. or whatever." And he's like, "Because of this and that," and it dawns on him. He's like. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> Sir, it's my duty at this point in time to let you know that because, yeah. because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm servicing the queen, uh-huh. and the queen's army or whatever. Right, right. There's all this procedural bullshit. It was interesting that they made him a <clears throat> an RAF officer. Um, and I think the uh-huh. first few times I saw this, I, I didn't fully understand that that was a real thing. Right. Um, my brother-in-law was in the Marines, and they they do that. He Exchange programs? Yeah. Some of his best buddies over the years were these Royal Marines. And and they they love that shit, man. To to find you know a like minded dude with a cool accent, you know <laughs> that they can bond with because they're the same over there, man. Right. You know that mentality is the same. Huh. And he loved his his Royal Marine pals when they whenever they trained together and oh, stuff. That's cool. It was it was a big deal. Yeah. But uh, I wonder why he did that though in this. Why have the, the yeah? Second why had him be, be British? I mean, it could have been an American XO. Yeah, I think. Maybe because he – something about him being an outsider and you know, being outside of the normal ranks. Yeah. Maybe 
made us it would presuppose that this guy might be able to think differently or might be he might be honoring his ultimate uh loyalty is to something different yeah so that that gives him at least some plausibility to be able to like even stand up to this guy or and well, he doesn't kinda, really but he <laughs> well they sort of test each other you know like uh mm-hmm. that that scene later before um ripper kills himself in the bathroom yeah he's asking about you know, were you ever a prisoner of war? Right. Were you ever tortured? And Peter Sellers, he's so nervous at that point. He's like, yes, you know, yeah. I was the Japanese tortured me, and it's not yeah. not a pleasant story. <laughs> right. He's like, but, I, uh, I figure they're going to have a pretty good time with me when they get up here. Yeah. And they're probably going to be able to. It's like <laughs> without a doubt, they're going to be able to extract the code from you. So you might as well give it to me. Yeah, he he really uses it as, <laughs> as, to his or tries to use it to his advantage. Uh-huh. And then when he goes in the bathroom, <laughs> oh, that's right, just clean yourself up or whatever. Right. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's a wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and then the door is blocked by the body. It's so funny and morbid. It's really great. Yeah. Um, and all those sets are just amazing. I mean, there's only a few sets, but they're just perfect. That War Room set is it, one of the most iconic movie sets in history, I think. Yeah, it's you beautiful. Know? It's it's vast, but yet at the same time it feels like you're in, un, un, underneath oh, a volcano. Just, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's so clean <clears throat> and uh, it's they use darkness so to their advantage. Right. Because they just cloak it all in blackness, it just falls basically, off into nothing, except for the you know, that great ring light. Yeah, uh, which apparently was most of the lighting. It's almost like this: the the war room exists in this ambiguous, like nebulous space. Yeah, that we don't know where it is or how. You know, it's it's, it's so cool. It's like looking, a matrix or something. When you see pictures of it, because uh, it doesn't, <clears throat> it reads differently. When, like when you see a photograph of the set, oh, okay. like as they were using it, um, it's just it's fucking great. It's gorgeous. And those set, you know, it was the '60s, so it's not like he, right. you know, he made it look like the the times. But right. all it, those great, uh, the big computer rooms, uh-huh. and and then Ripper's office, it was just like so, like beautifully '60s. And then the low, the low angles on in the war room, you could always shoot up and get, uh, you know, you could, yeah. Storchy Scott always has the big board, yeah, behind him. There's always there, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> You'll see the big board. Yeah. There's so many classic lines. There's no fighting in the oh, war Oh, there's room. another huge piece of, <laughs> of, of delicious irony. Almost every time you see the men fighting, uh-huh. whether that – I don't know if that footage was stuff they shot for the movie or not. But I think he shot it, yeah. Okay. It looks seems like he would have to. It looks like stock documentary footage. But, but he shot it to make it feel like war, war doc Yeah, footage. because they use the outside of Shepperton Studios right. apparently as the, the, the set. But everywhere and almost every background, there's a sign that says peace is our profession mm-hmm. while – well, the tanks are going yeah. off on each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. that's so like obvious and on the nose. But the whole movie is just so on the nose, yeah. it's so over the top and, and specific. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people, I don't know how you can miss that. A lot of people seem to think, you know, what? I guess the satire falls off on some people. But I'm like, this is the most specifically clear. Yeah, like he's banging you over the head with it. Yeah, it's not like George C. Scott is actually playing a guy who's who's thoughtful, who's, right? He's playing a – he's just an archetype. He's just a caricature. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and how could you, I don't know how so you could great. read anything else into it, but <laughs> – The uh, – of course, the uh, the grain alcohol and rainwater. Yeah. That's – that became such an iconic sort of thing. I've heard that line uttered in many a bar. Uh, oh, have you? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, people that, you know, think they're see, being clever. I've got the Mandrake. <laughs> say, Mandrake, do you recall what so-and-so said about war? And he's like, war is too important to be left for the generals. Um, when he said that 50 years ago, he may have been right. But today, it's too important to be left to the politicians. Uh, they neither have the time, the training, nor the inclination for strategic thought. 
And I can no longer sit back and allow the communist infiltration and communist indoctrination and communist subversion of the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all of our precious bodily fluids. And then the whole movie is about bodily fluids. I know. The whole movie is about male power. Yeah. Being and, sapped. And fluoridation or... kicks it all <laughs> off. <laughs> I just love how it, no matter what, even like whether it's it's she calls him in the war room and she's like, but, you know. Yeah. But don't you want to spend time with me or uh-huh. whatever? And he's like, oh, I love you, baby. Yeah. I'm going to make you Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Turgeson. You start the countdown. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be back here before, before you say blast off. Little buddy will be back before you <laughs> blast off. And then – and she's – yeah. I mean everything about it is just body humor and sex. And, yeah. And then the president's call with Dimitri who's a drunk uh-huh. on the other end of the line. Yeah. And it's like a – it's like yeah, – I think he's been drinking. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're ex – they're ex-lovers or something is the way that the oh, relationship works. Right? I mean. Yeah. Why do you think I'm calling you? Just to say hello? <laughs> of course I like to speak to you. Of course I like to say hello. Not now, but anytime, Dimitri. <laughs> I mean, he, when you see this chunk of dialogue like I'm just that, as sorry as you are, Dimitri. Oh, my God. He just acts the shit out of that part. And I guess it's all improv or a lot of it. Well, I mean, I don't know, man. I'd be curious, yeah, because that's such a large chunk. Yeah, the camera, the camera doesn't cut; it just no, sits it doesn't on cut him. at all. And George C. Scott too; he has these. Uh-huh. I mean, he just acts the shit out of it. There are these just long, <laughs> crazy monologues where he's not and not. I mean, he's physically acting too. That right. scene where he falls over was real, right? Apparently, and he was mad that they kept it in the movie or whatever. Oh, was he? I guess. Oh, interesting. But, and you can tell that they cut pretty quick after he stands back up because he's as he's standing up he's still yeah delivering he lines at, no, i mean it's beautiful <laughs> it's one of the great moments in the movie because you're left to wonder like was that real yeah or did that just happen was that written in what is i mean this i like i don't again i don't know if there's ever been a movie like this or ever will be again i mean it just seems like there's wag the dog and then there's veep and there's these like attempts at which are great the uh but, uh Death of Stalin. I don't know if yeah. you've seen that yet. Uh-huh. It's just fucking great. Right. And the, in fact, that movie tonally comes closer to this than anything I've seen, I think. Does it? Death of Stalin? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, di- a different film, but it, it it feels like a little bit of the DNA of this film is in that movie. Yeah. And I guess that brings me to the idea of like what – there's so much that could not have come a- after without this movie. Like, yeah. this movie's responsible. I even think about, like, it's almost like a mockumentary in a yeah. way. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, when they cut out the war footage and they have, like, I guess that the beginning is like a slate that they had to roll from the U.S. Air Force. Yeah. That they had to put in the movie, I think. That, that first, oh, really? The, the first, like, roll that says something. Oh, that it's not based on anyone real or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. But But even, I mean, everything about it, there's, and then the, they have this objective narrator, um, you know, this omniscient narrator who's, who's like, yeah. like a wartime, you know. Like a newsreel. Like a newsreel uh-huh. who's giving you this, this stuff. And that yeah. happens, like, oh, I think, twice <laughs> in the movie. And then they cut to this newsreel footage, like war footage of the attack on the base. Yeah. And other than that, right, it's all staged. But it just – it's got this feel to me like a mockumentary mm-hmm. quality to it. It's supposed to feel like a newsreel at times. And yeah. I don't know if Spinal Tap would have happened without Strange Love. No, I'm with I you. Don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, the onion may not have happened without strange. <clears throat> yeah, life, you know. I honestly think it's, it, it, and it's just so ahead of its time. I'm curious about the birth of satire. <clears throat> I don't know mm. much about it, like what the first satire was. Well, for it, it, it there's 
I mean, there's, I guess you, you can even look at like Shakespeare. There's always a clown who's mocking a king. Right. You know, there's there's evidence of political satire that goes pretty far back. Yeah, I, I think. guess so. But I, I, I don't know if it's ever handled like, you know, the end of the world or if, 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 ever, if ever it's been so black and so, yeah. you know, nihilistic. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and how else can you treat this stuff? I guess they wanted to. They, apparently, they spent a years trying to make this into a real. Oh, uh, really? They, yeah, they, they they were. It was only. It was late in the game. They decided, in in like many iterations of the script, they kept laughing, and they were like, "Okay, well, wow. we're laughing. This is really a comedy." So before it was a straight. They wanted to make a thriller. Into the world thriller. Yeah. Wow, boy. They and made then the failsafe right came out a few years later. I guess. Yeah, I saw there was like a lawsuit or something. Yeah. Kubrick tried to sue. And that's Sidney Lemay, I think. Yeah. But anyway, I I'm I just I'm so struck at how the genius of going. Oh, there's no other way to handle this. Yeah. You can't you can't take this stuff seriously. And we'll end it with a pie fight. <laughs> yeah. We'll end it with a fucking ma- magnificent, glorious pie fight that's on yeah. par with like total annihilation uh-huh. of the war. <laughs> I love how uh, <clears throat> there's no. I love how quickly the story gets going. I mean, it, it's it's like it's fired out of a cannon with mm-hmm. Ripper early on setting the stakes, um, mm-hmm. having lost his mind, and like this is what's happening. And there's mm-hmm. no like, it, you're right. It's not like any other movie. There's no kind of classic character development as you think of it in films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, but it, but the characters are all super developed somehow. Yeah, it's like this weird little magic trick uh, <laughs> in a movie that's an hour and forty five minutes long that just. It's going so fast. It's it's this portrait of total and complete absurdity. Yeah, and it's it's just goddamn gorgeous. Yeah, um, yeah. I've just never seen anything quite like it. Well, and gorgeous. You know, we can't. Uh, I know we talked about the set some, and but we haven't really touched on the the black and white and mm-hmm. just what a beautiful movie it is. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's low key. It feels. I heard somebody talking about how at the time there was color movies were for comedies and black and whites were still reserved for like. You know, noirs and... Oh, um, so we kind of flipped it? So we kind of flipped that too, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if audiences going in had any, you, you know, they didn't... I don't know if they knew what they were going into. Yeah. I I don't know if they... I don't know how they would have responded. I, I mean, was it was it promoted as a, as a comedy or was it... I don't know. I don't know, man. In 1964, what, yeah. did, what did the American public think of this? Right. It was and maybe successful. that's the subversive thing about it. Maybe he was like hoping they would go in thinking, right? Oh, this is a real thriller. Like this is an actual thing. Yeah. And they get they get this other thing that they were not expecting, and maybe don't even know how to react to it because there's not necessarily, you know, there was no comp. Right. Yeah. So that's <laughs> subversive. That's subversive as hell. That's punk rock as hell. Oh not? yeah. Yeah, I mean, get everybody in the theater and then feed them this. Yeah. And, then, and then there was all these people, the backlash from the military saying this is completely inaccurate. This is, you know, it's it's borderline dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that it wasn't inaccurate. Oh, no, I read that a lot of like even the uh, <clears throat> pilots and all were like, no, this was scarily accurate. So much so that the Kubrick was afraid that the guy <clears throat> who helped him out with that stuff had gotten illegal information. Right. Kubrick always seems to be a time traveler to me. He seems to always hand, have his hand on on some either either he's got a magical imagination mm-hmm. or he's actually you know in some conspiracy you know like got a, a straight line into like all of the classified information. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the Illuminati or something. Right. Like, you know, there's all these conspiracy because he, he does it again landing. and again and again. <laughs> yeah, and he always seems to have 
a, yeah. it'd be way, way out in front, way ahead of whatever. Um, so there's something magical about his genius that yeah. nobody can put their finger on. He's the best ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. He well, really in, is. In his own way. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I'm I'm trying to, I mean, we did a series and we, we didn't abandon it. We just kind of paused it uh, with my buddy Casey here, Casey yeah. on Kubrick. And we covered Eyes Wide Shut and Barry uh-huh. Lyndon and Full Metal Jacket and The right. Shining, I think was all. And that's our, did we do, Ramsey, did we do, uh, uh, now I can't think of it, it? the Droogies. Oh, yeah, uh, Clockwork Orange. Did we do Clockwork Orange? No, that, someone else did Clockwork Orange. Oh, that's right. That was uh, AJ. Did you guys yeah. Do Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory. Yeah. Did yeah, we did Paths of Glory. That's right. And, and the, then we we the bailed. killing. Well, we didn't do the killing. We didn't do two thousand one. Um, what's his name? Hayden. Oh, is he in that Sterling Hayden? Yeah, he's the he's the lead. Oh wow. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. I've only seen the killing once. Yeah, me and too. that was like in college. Yeah. But uh, Kubrick was always just so in his own lane, like. Mm-hmm. They're they're more than movies. I'm not trying to like to elevate him to this like godlike no, status. No, I mean but there's, there's they weren't they weren't movies. They were different. They were different. And there's like I was just in London and there was the Kubrick exhibit at the Design Museum. Uh, well, I missed that in L.A. I went over there and I tried to I, like I I didn't look it up before. I just went over there because mm-hmm. we had a film in the festival and I went over there and tried to get in. It was sold out, and unfortunately, so I didn't get to go in and look at uh. it. I just. Uh, I almost know. snuck in. I was like, I was about to say, there's got to be a way to get I in. I almost there. snuck in. I got halfway in, and uh, my wife was lingering behind. And I was like, I either need to just abandon say, her, yeah, abandon her, <laughs> and go in here and see this. And when I when I came back, I was like, God, I could have gotten in. She's like, Should have gone in, man. I would have yeah, figured it out. I was right? Like, yeah, but I'm. She's like, I would have just gone and had tea or something. <laughs> yeah. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. 
It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What were you doing in London? We were there because our, our film, The Dark Red, was screening, had its uh, European premiere. Oh, nice. At um, Fright Fest. How'd that go? London. It was fantastic, man. Really? We had, a, we had a killer. Yeah, a bunch of our crew came. Awesome. Um, uh, Elizabeth Davidovich came and April Billingsley, the lead, came. Uh-huh. And uh, Davidovich is our stunt coordinator and she's amazing. And um, uh, Ben Lovett was there, our composer. Mm-hmm. And Victoria Warren was there. And Victoria is our, our DP. That's great. Yeah, and we all came, and like the movie was really well received, and uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a, the best we could have ever have hoped for. Because oh, I, man, how fun! Fright is Fest that? is like one of the top four genre fests. Yeah, and just to have it so well received, and we were scared because the movie's not total horror. It's not right you know, for a genre festival. Uh, it, this one's a little bit more of a thought piece, and mm-hmm. it was well. Maybe they needed a break from the like the crazy blood, right, blood right. splatter, but it was it was very well received, and we're excited. That's awesome, dude! It's, and it's coming out in March, so. And in London, yeah. like, how fun was that? Yeah. One of my favorite cities in the world. It's, yeah, it's, like, the coolest city ever. Yeah. I had forgotten how just fantastic I fucking love it, man. Is. I would move to London in a second. Right. Or, it was Berlin forever. Now it's London again. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Berlin. Berlin's great. I know. Um, I missed my chance. Well, I had a question for you. When you were a kid, because uh-huh. you're my age, so to what degree before the Cold, the Cold War sort of collapsed around the wall coming down, mm-hmm. um, to what degree were you? Did you grow up like me, terrified that the that there was going to be a nuclear war? I mean, that was the shadow that we lived in. Growing yeah, up, right. It was very real. I remember, as I'm sure you do, the day after <clears throat> right that TV movie with Jason Robards. Yeah, and my dad, after that movie, uh, we started building a bomb shelter in our basement. Seriously? Yes, we started digging out. It was behind our this wood shop behind the cinder block walls huh. of the wood shop was you know, red clay. Right. And he knocked a hole in that wall and we started digging. No And he kidding. had me and my brother digging. And you physically built a, a bomb. Well, no, we didn't. True, true to form. Uh, he stopped after a few weeks and we had, you know, after my brother and I dug out, you know, 150 wheelbarrows full of red clay. He, he, you know. What was that impact on you? Like when you're like, okay, we're taking for one. What was the impact of like, okay, we're we're building a bunker, yeah, and like we're in this because the world's going to end. Part of you think that's kind of cool. And two, what was the what was the impact of like, oh, we're not doing this anymore because right. that was just a movie and nobody really cares. <laughs> well, I was a little kid, so part of it is kind of cool because um, I think there's something about war games and growing up with that film, right? And uh, Red Dawn, growing mm-hmm. up with that film, right? <clears throat> there was a little bit of like. Yeah, man, like I'm going to be in the woods with a rifle and a football. Yeah. Or and a bunch of cans of soup and we'll be and we'll be okay. Like I still have that zombie apocalypse sort of weird fantasy like we yeah, did, I'd be all right. We did too. I lived in um Plaza Midwood area in Charlotte, North Carolina and there was this section of woods behind like the the golf course that mm-hmm. was over there and there was this weird division between where we were the lo- like sort of middle class lower middle class and then the and then, like, this weird pocket of, like, upper middle class and, mm-hmm. and mansions and shit. And the dividing line were these, were these woods. And we would play Vietnam War 
Yeah. We would go in there. I had seen like, I think I'd seen Apocalypse Now uh-huh. or something. <laughs> and we would go in there and we would ambush each other. And we, yeah. we just, it was just, the, it was the most delightful. These war games we'd play in the woods were the most delightful thing in the world. I didn't yep. know anything about the true terror and sure. horror of Vietnam. No, we did the same thing, man. But. We shot bottle rockets at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Roman candle wars. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Those oh. are the best. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your second part of that question, when we stopped building it, I was just relieved to not have to be digging anymore on the weekends. <laughs> there was no sense of like, but are we going to be okay? Like, why aren't we doing this thing that seemed uh, very important? Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I was watching Red Dawn and Night of the Comet yeah. and all these sort of disaster scenario movies. Right. But it just it, like you said, it was the way it was. I went. To, a friend of mine was was. Um, we, my parents did not. We didn't go to church growing up. Uh-huh. We quit very early on. My my dad was a, he was a chemist and he had had an experience at his tr- at the church, some church in South Carolina, where he had like ba- basically abandoned. He at one point they they showed signs of being very racist at this one church that he was oh, sort of interesting. that he was actually doing Sunday or like Bible school in. Yeah, um, for adults and and he. Basically said, I'm never going to darken your doors again. Yeah. I'm done with this. And then it's there was this snowball effect with him. If he eventually backed away from the entire thing, and he basically raised us almost as atheists mm-hmm. um, or at least agnostics. And anything that has any dogma at all, he's terrified of. He's yeah. like anybody who thinks that they know the right way to do anything, then walk away as quick as possible and right. not run or stop them. And smart <clears throat> man. <laughs> but this there was this one friend of mine who took me to like this youth Christian church camp and my dad was like okay i guess you can go see what the other side is like right <laughs> and i went and uh i met all the crazies there they're all these kids that were like part of this youth christian camp thing mm-hmm. and i was the one guy who i kept it hush hush at that point because i'd learned by going to camp in south carolina that you, the more i speak about this the less right. people, the more i'm hated and yeah, people, fear, like, people fear me you're like they don't know that I'd i'm not the, one of them i would play the beatles and, and and talk about you know how much i don't i don't go to church and then right. they would yeah and, and how god we don't know if god exists and they would like you know i was uh, yeah. i was outcast so i was like okay i'll shut up about that but when i but i met all these kids who were like obsessed they sent me after i get left camp they're like we decided you're cool enough mm-hmm. and they sent me this letter in the mail with like this debriefing about what to do in case of a nuclear war and how they had the survivalist club that they had started wow. i'm talking 9 years old 10 years old yeah that's and scary I, shit yeah and i was like you guys have started your own cl- like club to, on how to survive a nuclear war uh-huh and you're inviting me to join your your posse right and i was just like it was and they were it was insane yeah but I, that's the kind of shit that would happen yeah. to us when we were growing up uh-huh. in, in the shadow of nuclear war. We and did it for fun. This weird thing happened. <laughs> <laughs> sure. This weird thing happened where it all – and I, would, I would remember I was at a very open school and we had joined this extracurricular class in the sixth grade called the World Peace Club. Uh-huh. Nice. <laughs> we would talk about ways that we could manufacture – world peace. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's but adorable. But I just was terrified growing up. <laughs> I was literally, I was like, okay, this is how we're going out. Yeah. And it affected it this a Gen really, X real sensibility in me of like, nothing matters. Uh-huh. Well, I think all Why of not us. litter? Why yeah. not? Why not smoke? Right. Why not do drugs? <laughs> Who gives a shit? You know? Right? I think our, and then at some point it all went away. At some point it was like, okay, so that's gone. Whew. Yeah. We dodged a bullet there, didn't we? Yeah. But it hasn't. There's still these broken arrows, which is, broken arrow is the term for sure. a lost nuke. Uh-huh. There's broken arrows that happen all the time. And I brought you this. This is um, a printout of all the broken arrows. Really? 
Well, it's the 35. What are you doing to me, Dan? It's the 35 declassified broken arrows that that they were speaking about. And one of them is uh, (laughs) off of Tybee Island. I know about that one. Yeah. Yeah, the one that uh, it's underwater somewhere, right? Another one's in Aiken, South Carolina. Yeah, it's glossed forever. There's one in Aiken? There's one in Aiken. Wow. There was a a broken arrow happened in Aiken. There's one in um, Florence, South Carolina. Why are they all in South Carolina? <laughs> well, no, there's hundreds. <laughs> okay. These are just happen to be the ones around So I'm just, us, this is going to be my toilet <laughs> for the next few days. Yeah. I figured you guys had talked about that on. No, you know, we've never done one. That's stuff. a great idea, Broken Arrow. Yeah. Stuff you should know. It's not just a Travolta movie. Wasn't that Travolta? Was it? Is that John I don't know. Movie? I don't know. Or am I thinking Face Off? Face Off. Ramsey's nodding. Um, anyway. Back to the movie. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah. No, it's it's all it all ties in, you know. I think the movie for me, because of that, because of growing up in the shadow of of this weird, con, absurd condition that yeah. we all might blow ourselves up at any minute. The 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 movie was this like release of pressure for me. When, when did saw, you see it first? I think I saw it in college, so I didn't see it in high school. I, I must I have it. been. In, I definitely didn't see it in high school. I was thinking college. I must have seen it around like 1990 or something and 92. Anyway, so right when we were going in the first like Gulf War, right around then is when I saw it. Mm -hmm. So I was already kind of an anti-war kid at the time. And then – Did you sit around and watch the war on TV in college like we did? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, at the pizza – and we'd go to the pizza place and watch the war. Yep. Um, It was weird. But I – in the way that people were reacting and the way that like the frat boys in this school that I was in were were, like so – immediately gun-ho about it. I was like, and then I'd seen, and then I think I watched the movie, uh-huh. Strange Love, and, I, and it just was like this release, like, okay, so I'm not crazy, so I'm not the only one who gets that this is all bullshit and all right. these people are fucking crazy. Yeah. And, and this is just completely insane. Mm-hmm. This is lunacy. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh, so there's been subversive messages from way back. Yeah. There is a, there's, anyway, the relief of of knowing that I wasn't the only one that right. felt this way. Yeah. <laughs> and that there is actually a long history of it was yeah was wonderful yeah so, I mean the, that's why the movie is kind of a crush for me. Well, it's a, so. it's a it's a movie too that changes over the years for uh, as you age because my first viewings of this is a lot of it was lost on me and um, uh, a lot of it was the the broad performances that I thought were funny <laughs> and of course Doctor Strangelove and his alien hand syndrome mm-hmm. which I have no idea <laughs> why they did that. Um, my, I think my favorite thing about all of that is the fact that no one ever acknowledges it. Uh-huh. You know, that the great <laughs> – yeah. I mean, there's funny stuff throughout. He's just choking himself, you mean? And he, yeah, but the the end when he's uh, – it's the sequence of uh, hand steering uh-huh. the wheelchair in <laughs> a little he semicircle. He's like trying to go away. He's like nah. – And then to the, the, the chin punch, uh-huh. to the hand bite, <laughs> to, the st- <laughs> to the choke <laughs> – that fucking sequence. I was dying. And when it came out, she's like, what are you laughing at? I was like, I can see that part a thousand times and it will still make me laugh out loud. While he's – all of this is happening while he's talking about yeah. how to survive <laughs> in it, a cave. I wonder if you thought of that stuff. Is that Sellers? I mean that's not in the script. Like he has alien hand syndrome and no one notices. Well, I think – It had to I don't know Sellers. where they came up with the Dr. Strangelove character because he wasn't in the, 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 the book that they right. were mostly basing it on. Yeah. Apparently, the president – it had to have been Sellers because for Muffley, he originally was going to play him as being really, really sick with a cold. Mm-hmm. And they said that he was so good at it right. with all the cold stuff that he uh, – no one could keep a straight face. 
And they're like, right. you, you, and Kubrick was like, you gotta, you gotta lose it, man. I'm sorry, such but a you, you fine can't do line. It. <laughs> such a fine line. Yeah, because that the the president's role is such a straight role. And, and cutting the pie thing, like he's yeah, he's trimming down certain things that are too farcical or too slapsticky. Uh huh. And it, and, it, and it becomes uncomfortable. It's like, why am I laughing at this? And he never gives you the full like, oh, this is to be dismissed. This is just yeah. a total. He's like, no, no, no. This is not. You can't dismiss this as as a uh-huh. as a as a pure slapstick farce. Right. You just can't. And I'm not going to let you. So and maybe in that sense, the pie thing had to go. Yeah. And and the over the over silliness. You know, if if he ever did the muffly, maybe that had to go. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean the fine line. And and the tone was his his and his alone. Like. Uh, Sellers? No, Kubrick, I think, okay. of like that, that line that he wanted to walk. Yeah. Um, I think was his alone. Like right. he knew what exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, and it was just genius. And I guess there were lots, of, lots of edits of the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently they, they cut it a lot of times. I mean, you know, he was mm. pretty obsessive at this point in his yeah. career with – he was pretty exacting. And hands-on. Yeah. Like I know there was an editor credited, but uh, – Right. Everything I read says that editor and also obviously Kubrick. Right. <laughs> like in yeah. the room. Yeah. Cutting tape. Did you ever do that? Were you ever uh, cutting film? Yeah. I and, started and off cutting splicing? on a on a Steamback um, editing machine. And Same here. That was fun. Yeah. I, even before that, I was cutting 16 millimeter, which is, um, well, 8 millimeters like spaghetti. Yeah. But I had a little 8 millimeter cutting splice. Cutting yeah, splice I did too, man. But uh, yeah, I cut my first – the first couple of short films I made were 16 millimeter and I, yeah. and I had to get a work print and cut with a work print. That's awesome. Sure. That's what – when I did, it was I did – It was insane. The bins with all the oh, yeah. stuff hanging. Uh-huh. It was Little white gloves. Tough. Uh, grease pencils. Yeah. <laughs> and then you had to get your negative cutter to conform everything. Yeah. And that was expensive. Such a yeah. cool process. Uh, I mean, it, it's better now. Yeah. I'm not one of these guys that's like, oh. Avid came, Avid came out pretty much – for the year I graduated from yeah. film school, it was like Avid came out, and then and everything <clears throat> that he had learned was forgotten. yeah. So I couldn't get a job editing because <laughs> everybody coming out behind me knew how to do digital editing. Yeah, so. but that was just the process. Like you know, editing is a is an art. Yeah, and no matter if you're cutting film or or doing it with a click of the mouse, you just yeah. got you got to learn the new system. Right. Which well, is there Avid is something. There is something wonderful that's happened with the when you have the the nonlinear digital editing that. Is I you know it's like you can move so quickly mm-hmm. that you can entertain several conversations with yourself. You yeah. can have a backlog of ideas that you can kind of quickly. It's just a different game. You can edit. It's just informs my. Yeah. It's just so different that I you know and I know that it's thirty years ago now, but like it changed my brain. I'm like, oh, I can compose here. I can right. Do you I cut move quick? Stuff? I, can, I can yeah. Pretty much to to date, I've cut my own, really my own movies. Like you don't work with an editor at all. No, no. I mean, I would love. I would love to if I found one. Uh-huh. Um, would you be able to? You think? I don't think so. I, I think you know. It's funny because uh, I, I talked to Bruckner, David Bruckner. He's working on a movie called Nighthouse right now mm-hmm. with Rebecca Hall, and he, you know, he always has these other editors that he's having to work with now mm-hmm. because it's just contractually right. Um, but it's still a director's cut. But he's an editor. Like that's his gift. Oh, like, really? He's magic at editing. He's, uh-huh. a, he's a badass. So. I'm like, how do you sit there and watch them push the buttons? And I don't, I haven't had to deal with that really yet. There was one instance on a movie I made called The Vault, which was we had another editor, but luckily we got rid of that editor, and I took over again and right tried to salvage the movie. But <laughs> Did your own thing? Yeah, so I, I would. It's like a cinematographer. If I could find a 
a cinematographer, you know, and I found some that I love and I'm like, okay. And when I finally found that, I was like, okay, I, I feel good about not worrying about that. Yeah. But right now the editing, I don't. Yeah. So much fun. It's wonderful. Editing's the best. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things here at the end of the movie that I loved um, is a couple of lines is one that that last phone call with uh, Dimitri and President Muffley when he's explaining like the current situation here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, you're just going to have to find that plane and shoot it down, basically. Right. He goes, well, I'm sorry they're jamming your radar and flying so low. <laughs> That's what they're trained to do. It's initiative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. And then when Strange Love is describing the, the post-war rebuilding effort, uh-huh. when he goes, animals could be bred and slaughtered. <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, Sellers was such a genius. He left us so soon. He was 54 years old. Was he? Yeah. Just 54? 54. And he fell over at a breakfast table. Oh, God. Dead of a heart attack. Yeah, I think he was was also had a lot of, like, demons. Oh, yeah. As as, as the best comics often do, right? Yeah. I'd like to read a good biography on him because he was uh, a lot of problems. You know who's an expert on Sellers? Who? Scott Poitras. Oh, really? Yeah. He even was going to – he was trying to put together a film where he was going to play uh, Sellers. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's, and he can do he can do a Sellers impersonation. Oh, really? Sellers doing other characters. Well, like I was about to say, him. no one even knows who oh, Sellers was. And I think that was his whole jam, right? Yeah. I mean, he even admitted. That he didn't have any other personas outside yeah. of Yeah. He was a tough characters. dude. I mean, he was married four times and yeah. admittedly just a sort of a monster. Right. Um, I did see the Jeffrey Rush thing. That they did a few years ago. I didn't see that. Well, that was a while ago. The Lives of Peter Sellers or whatever. Oh, I didn't. Mm-mm. It's good. I mean, it's worth a watch. But, uh, you know, Britt Eklund, one of his wives, came out and she was like, I didn't like it because it portrayed him as a human. Oh. And they're like, he, he was a monster. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, he was a tough guy. Uh, depression, you know, drug addiction, alcoholism. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how bad the drugs were. I know he was a big pothead, which is, you know, who cares about that? But. Right, he was he was a messed up guy. <laughs> it yeah, it fits into that whole I know the whole theory about the American clown and how I'm gonna get into that some other time. But yeah, basically just the idea that you know we hate our clowns and other cultures clowns represent they're sort of outside of they're they're even more praised in some primal cultures than the priest or mm. the medicine man. We hate our clowns. <laughs> yeah, we they're they're praised because they are beyond dogma because they are like okay they'll come in and the trickster is understands something that is outside like you think you understand the mind of God right well actually that's laughable because yeah. there's no way you could and so they have in some senses they're more sacred than the priest. Or whoever is the spokesman, but in in the United States or it's it's in the Western culture, it seems like we're ter- so terrified of the clown that he becomes monstrous, like in the movie It, or right, you know, these other movies like that. But we we're terrified of them, and then the clowns that we have that are comedians, uh-huh. they they tend to have all these demons, and they carry yeah. with them this the sad clown, the you know, and then the suicidal tendencies and the self destruction, right. You know, and it's, I think it's part of that whole yeah. equation. Did but. you watch uh, Baskets? No. Is Zach that Galifianakis's no. show? Uh-uh. You should watch Baskets. Okay. It's great. He was a clown. Oh, cool. Okay. In, the, in the show. Okay. Uh, that sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. But I think about like Joker, the movie Joker. And yeah. Did you see it? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But, I, you know, it's just that, that, and even 
yeah, these characters that, that we're just terrified of. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know. It seems like that's part of the equation with with Robin Williams and Peter Sellers and these other these other you know guys who are somewhat self destructive. Yeah, you know, yeah. All right, man. You got anything else? Do I? Um, look no. Your, look through your notes. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to walk out here and go, oh, yeah, I forgot to talk about that thing. Oh, that's all right. We talk about um, Pablo Ferro, the titles. Yes. Yeah, okay. Pablo Ferro. <laughs> uh-huh. I thought that sense. was cool. Um, that's very cool. And it all it all comes together because uh, I never noticed that, that that was the same exact script, basically. Um. No, I, I think we covered some good stuff here. I just think the movie is important because it, it's the. First, I, I just think it stands alone. I don't think there's anything quite like it. Yeah. And so when I saw it, I, it's one of those movies that when you see it, you're just giddy because you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe this is somebody did this. Yeah, and it's a movie you want to uh, talk about with other people. And it's the most efficient movie in the world. I mean, like every scene is so specifically yeah. clear cut. And there's no fat in this movie. No, whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But thank you for having me. Of course, man. Think about what you want to do next. Um, I'll have you on before March, uh, but where can people find The Dark Red in March? Uh, The Dark Red, um, it'll be on all of the pay outlets like iTunes and Google Play. Yeah, we'll we'll do a big promo push for it. Um, Yeah, so – and then beyond that, we don't – yet to be seen if it'll be like a Netflix thing at some point or what. Cool. Maybe – We're probably going to do a theatrical release like limited. So maybe around the release, it'd be fun to get you and whoever you want to invite key players. That'd be great. From uh, maybe your DP and the and the lead actress. And sure, that'd be fun. Sit around and do a little roundtable. That'd be awesome. Just yeah. about the making of it and th- some insider stuff. I know people love that stuff. Would love that. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, think about what you want to do next as well. Okay. Cool. And we'll get you in here like in the new year. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.